0: i excited to introduce our speaker today, a good friend of ours personally. Tracy and I have been with Ken and Eve, Pastor Ken and Eve in their home, they in our home. Uh, Pastor Ken brought Bishop Josiah, his son, this morning. Um, and so they have three children, and I'm really, uh, I'm just so thankful for ministry connections, ministry relationships that come from a deeper place. Not just a place of, hey, let's try and do something together, but we really identify with each other and we sense that so strongly, and uh, the Spicers are no uh, stranger to the house. But I just want to uh, to give him a formal introduction in this regard, and say, I know he's carrying something from us th- or for us this morning. How many of you will go to a deeper place in placing a demand on what he's carrying for us today? So, I want to ask you, uh, let's come from a deeper place, even as we celebrate and embrace the gift that God's brought to this house. Why don't you stand to your feet and let's welcome Pastor Ken Spicer? Give him a destiny welcome as he comes and brings. Come on, what God's stirring in his heart for us today.
1: Thank you. You may be seated. So good to be back here at Destiny. Back with you, we consider you all family. Man, I just wanna just say a couple of things about that worship today. Um, It's different, different than it's been, better. Not that it was ever bad, it's always been really good, but again, from a deeper place, I think, I think uh, God begins to stir something in us when we go through difficulty as as a person, as a church, as a community of believers, I think a lot of the things we're seeing in the world today is just not just symptomatic of of a greater thing going on, but it also tells us what's happening in the spirit realm. Um, and man, I just I'm I was just so blessed this morning, and it's so easy to to minister in a place like this. And um, you know, like Pastor Lawrence said, I mean, he's he's part of our leadership and has been for years, and and uh, he and Tracy are just have been instrumental in our lives, our, our ministry, our family. And um, I've got a word for them, because I know he goes all over the place and, and encourages people. I just felt like God really gave me a download uh, during worship. So if you two, both of you, would come up here, just, just right up here for a sec. <clears throat> if, if you don't know that, that um, there's been some troubled times happening lately, Uh, It's either that you're not paying attention or because these two navigate those things so, uh, so well. Um, But difficult times and and difficult circumstances really do bring out the best in leadership. We wouldn't know Winston Churchill's name if it weren't for very difficult and almost impossible situations. And as a United States Marine, I mean, uh, the stories of, of... You know, the legendary war fighters in in just that natural regard are are amazing. Um, But these two have risen to this occasion. And I I felt like God showing me a picture. There's a time in the Bible where where, uh, James, the brother of Peter, was killed by Herod. The next day, Peter is scheduled to die, and he's sleeping so soundly the night before that the angel has to literally shake him awake. Because he was so restful and peaceful. I just believe God's saying that what would normally take people out, would, which would normally destroy most people or most ministries, is not going to have that effect on you. That you're going to be so restful that God's going to have to remind you that, hey, listen, you need to, this isn't where you're staying. You, you know, there's something else for you to do. And, uh, and so, Tracy, I believe you're going to be more instrumental in, in the next season of Destiny. And, and just the ministry that you guys have together worldwide than maybe you have thought before. And I just felt like the Spirit of God spoke very specifically to me during worship that it has nothing to do with your skill set, which is incredible, but it has everything to do with your anointing. Um, And so the skill set is God-given and wonderful, but your anointing is something that you've only scratched the surface of. Um, So I just believe that there's three things that God downloaded to me there, and one of them is in Isaiah 43, and he says, Fear not, um, I've called you by name. When you walk through the waters, or when you pass through the waters, I am with you and the rivers, they will not overflow you, and when you pass through the fire, it will not burn you nor scorch your, your, your clothing. So here, here's, I think, what, what that is, is sometimes in American Christianity, we're really praying and, and contending with God to make all of our circumstances favorable. But he's the God that's with you in trouble, which means you're gonna be in trouble once in a while. And he's with you in there, and, and he's taking you through those places. Um, Isaiah 41:10 says, "Fear not, I am with you, uh, I will help you, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you with my mighty right hand." And, uh, and in Jeremiah 15:16, the word says, "Your words were found, and I, I did eat them, and your word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart." So as this season sort of passes into the next, Your leadership in this house and in this community and this country uh, is going to be galvanized even more. So let's extend your hands to them and let's pray a blessing of them. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're so grateful for Pastor Lawrence and Pastor Tracy, what they mean to this house, what they mean to us individually. And Lord, we thank you that from that deeper place that he spoke about that you're increasing Uh, those giftings and, and that anointing and the sensitivity to your voice and Lord we thank you that the devil is a lie and this place will live and not die and be strong in the Lord as a family as a community and as an expression of your love here and beyond and Lord we give you all the praise in Jesus mighty name amen come on let's give the Lord a shout today Nobody likes the test, as they say, but everybody likes the testimony, and it costs something to get a testimony, and passing through those difficult things is never fun, and it's not easy, but it's very empowering with Christ, and God's got an amazing journey for us together as we journey together as a fellowship of believers. Today I just want to talk a little bit about understanding the gospel and and your yearly theme this year is fully known, fully loved. I mean, that is is my heartbeat, that God knows you and knew exactly who you were before the foundations of the world and loved you anyway, died for you anyway. And his plan for you is mind-boggling, and it doesn't mean there won't be some difficult circumstances or situations uh, or scenarios, but I'm telling you that love never fails and he's unwilling to leave you, and even when you're not doing the right thing, which happens to me sometimes, maybe not to you, but, but his love is without condition. And I think understanding that, and to realize that we're living life in light of eternity. And life, I don't know, at my age, I realize life is too short to waste any time, and I'm not legalistic, I'm just on a mission. I want to do things that, that I know God's put in my heart and I don't have much time to sit around and waste. Uh, and it doesn't mean I don't have fun because I have a lot of fun. We, we spend a lot of time doing that as, as a family and as a, a couple, my wife and I have been married 27 years. I, I've got at least another 35 or 40 in the tank. So it's not that. But it's, it's just I know that I have a purpose in life and, I, and, and the more I spend time in his presence, the more galvanized I am about that. And so understanding what that means is vitally important. Um, Sometimes I think that, that we've been sort of duped into believing in a gospel that benefits us without transforming us. And I think God's trying to get a hold of us to realize and to help us to realize that it's perhaps differently or different than we thought it was. And so I wanna take you to a, a verse here in just a moment in John chapter 14, a verse that I discovered, I don't know, 20 odd years ago when I was on deployment in Somalia as a United States Marine. I don't know if all of you know that, that part of my past, but I was in the Marines and, and I met my wife uh, after a deployment to, to uh, Asia. Um, in two weeks, we started having a conversation about getting married. In five weeks, we were engaged. Five months later, we were married. And now three children and 27 some years later, uh, God is good and things are better than ever. But when I was there, we'd been married a month and I got deployed to Somalia and I had never read my Bible and I grew up in a denominational background and, and I just thought that if, you know, if I needed to know something, the preacher would tell me. The problem was I was never really in proximity to a preacher or a church and I would fight over the fact that the Bible was the word of God. I just had no idea what it said. And so I was there for a few weeks, and then I realized, well, I might actually survive this, so probably should get ready to to move on in my life. So I dug down into my sea bag, this long cylindrical thing that had all my possessions, and I dug down to the bottom, and I found a little Gideon Bible that my grandfather had given me five years earlier when I joined. And I just started in Matthew, because that's what you do, I guess, and it was only the New Testament, so I didn't have many options. So I just started in Matthew. I started reading. And I got to chapter 14, verse number 12, and then I got angry because nobody had ever told me that before. And I knew Jesus was saying it to me because it was in red. I didn't even need to see a vision to know God was speaking to me. And so let's, let's take a look at this verse up on the overhead. Maybe you know what it says. If not, hopefully you will after today. But in John 14, verse 12, It says, most assuredly, and of course, Jesus is saying this, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, or she who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these, he will do, or she will do, because I go to my Father. Man, that verse wrecked my life. I, I just thought about that, thought about that. And, and of course, you know, God will always sort of speak to you the way you need to hear Him. And so I start complaining about all the people in my past that never told me that I could do what Jesus did because I knew what He did. He, he preached, He taught, He healed people, he, he raised the dead, He opened the eyes of the blind. One time He spit on the ground and made mud balls and stuck them in a man's face, they became eyeballs. One time, there was a man who had never spoken, and he came for prayer, and Jesus spit on his tongue. That's in your Bible. It's amazing what's in there when you start reading it. And the man began to speak. My guess is the first thing he said was, did you really just spit in my mouth? (laughs) But I knew all those things, or I had heard those stories, and then Jesus is saying, if I have done it you'll do it also and as i'm complaining to god he said well listen um i i understand your 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 passion here but you've had that bible that you just read that in in the bottom of that sea bag for five years so when are you going to take responsibility for your own life and destiny and so i continue to read And I mean, I was more and more excited. And and then a couple of my young Marines said, "Hey, Sergeant, have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit?" And I said, "Well, I'm Baptist, so I've been baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit." (laughs) And of course, you can imagine how that conversation went. And of course, uh, being from the devil and passed away, tongues that is, uh, I had a little struggle and. So after about a month of reading the book of Acts every single day, because remember, I believed the Bible, I just didn't know what it said. So when I read the book of Acts, and five times there's people just like you, just like me, that, that see uh, Jesus as Savior. They get biblically, scripturally born again. They believe Christ is their Savior. And then after that, something happens, and it's called, Jesus called it being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So after about a month of that, I realized, you know, it wasn't of the devil. It had not passed away. In fact, it's unique to the church. Tongues is the only gift you don't find in the Old Testament. So tongues is unique to the New Testament church. And uh, they prayed for me and then my letters home radically changed. And I found out that my wife took these letters and I mean it was, sometimes I still read those letters when I'm feeling discouraged. I'll just go through these old letters that I wrote my wife when I was deployed and read them and think, yes, what am I complaining about? (laughs) I'm preaching to me now. an, an uncompromised gospel. But she went to her mother and she said, who is this crazy man that I married? And uh, <laughs> thank God that her mother counseled her properly. And, and, and I wasn't going to talk to her about, you know, the Holy Spirit when I got back for at least a month. And we're driving home from the base. And I mean, it was coming out of me like a torrent. And she's crying and doesn't know what to do with this crazy spirit-filled man. And, and uh, a month later, she got uh, filled with the spirit as well. But my point is this, is that we think about the things Jesus did, and we immediately gravitate to the things we believe. We just are coming off 11 weeks on Wednesday night of Christ the healer. We know that God heals. We know that, that he healed on the cross, and we know that we can see that manifest in the lives of people. We understand all these things that he's given us permission to walk in. But I wanna challenge you today with the thing that we typically don't think about when we think about the things Jesus did, and that is love. Because if we believe we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, we believe that we can lay hands on, on, on the blind and they can see. If we believe that God is the same, yesterday, today, and forever, and that's wonderful and that is absolutely applicable, but the greatest thing he ever did was become love. And sometimes that's the one that we diminish. Well, nobody, of course, can do that. Jesus doesn't really think we can love each other, does he? I mean, you saw the guy pull in front of me, or you heard the way she talked to me, or or, or how can I stand for this? I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And then before you know it, we've given all the good stuff away. But I believe... That he's challenging us to begin to walk in love. Because love transforms. And love is the doorway to all these other things that he did. And when we just, and and Pastor talked about it this morning, when we're just moved with compassion, not emotion, the gifts of the Spirit begin to flow. We're not trying to get invited to TBN or get invited to the next biggest place to preach. We're just concerned that people are hurting. We're motivated by that compassionate love and heart of the Father. And so you and I, I believe, can get to a place where that looks very much like what Jesus did. I think once we get to heaven, we'll realize that it was more attainable than we thought. I mean, it takes a, a couple of, of, of mind changes, I believe, but it's, it's attainable. This is what John says. In 1 John 4, verses 8 through 11, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It doesn't mean that you're not saved, that you don't usher on Sunday, that you're not going to go to heaven when you die, but it just means if we're not walking in love, we don't know him like we could. Because out of that place of intimacy with God, where we're not just trying to get through our daily devotional or we're not just trying to to check a a box on our to-do list, but we're actually just wanting to sit and hear his voice. When we come out of that place, we're different. I can't imagine, you know, spending a day without interacting with my wife. I can't imagine a day where we would go where we wouldn't talk. Yet so many people who claim relationship with Jesus go days, weeks, without sitting with him. At least not without a petition. Just sitting in his presence, just hearing his heartbeat, just letting his breath fall upon your cheek, being in that place of intimacy. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him and this is love that not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins beloved if god so loved us we ought also to love one another see in the gospel you'll never hear any of the writers cuz of course it's all the holy spirit but you'll never read something that's that's sort of Commanding us or leading us or telling us to do something that you don't first find the empowerment to do it. You never get an imperative from heaven without first getting the indicative of heaven that empowers the imperative. See, in the Old Testament, we loved to be loved. Under the law, we forgave to be forgiven. Even Jesus said it. That's why red-letter Christians can get quite confused because Jesus is is amazing, and he's God. But when he was on the earth, he was doing one of two things. He was either preaching hyper-grace. Woman, where art thou accusers? Does no one condemn thee? No one, Lord, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Meaning go in the power of no condemnation and live free from sin. See, that is hyper-grace. Hyper but then he'll say things like, if you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. That's hyper-law. So if you just listen and read what Jesus said without putting it in proper context, you will be a confused individual. Because you must listen to what he says and recognize who he's saying it to. Amen? But we love now this side of the cross because we were first loved. So it is this love he has given us that propels us to love others. And here's the thing, if you just wake up every day and remind yourself, no one owes me anything. No one owes me a thing. I recently started doing this because I need some help in this area. See, when no one owes you anything, you remove all of the expectations that you've put on them and they're sure to let you down and disappoint you. And when they can no longer disappoint you, now you're free to love them. Because it's not about me. It's about him. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus didn't die so we could say a prayer that qualifies us for heaven. Because when we have that mindset, we say a prayer that qualifies us for heaven, and we remain angry and bitter, and victimized and offended, because there's no transformation in that. It's not based on intimacy. It's based on a need to know that we're not gonna go to hell. And see, that's part of the package, but that's not the point. You know, when the, when the, when the Philippian jailer came to, to Paul and said, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, well, brother, say this prayer. The first person ever led to the Lord died the next day from AIDS. And I remember looking in this man's eyes and he looked like he was dead already and I started talking to him about Jesus and man, his eyes came alive. There was life there. And I led him to Jesus on his deathbed. He was uh, the son-in-law of a lady that I worked with. I worked in a concrete plant in East Los Angeles. And I remember going down to the parking lot and being tormented that if I said the prayer right... Did I make sure, did I, I couldn't remember, did I ask him, did I tell him that you have to repent of all of your sin? Did I take him just right through the Christian hokey pokey, just right, you put your left foot in, you put your left foot out, you put your left foot in, you shake it all about? Did we say everything that needed to be said, or is he going to die and wake up in hell because I didn't do my part? Mm. Jesus died so we could be restored to our original nature of love and in that is all the other things that we think are primary this is all about relationship amen in 1 John four seventeen, this is not on the overhead but listen Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. I love that because there's so many Christian hand-ringers, midnight confessionists, because, you know, brother, you don't want to die with unconfessed sin. You know what I found out? And, and you know, I'm not very quick. I'm, from, I'm originally from Mississippi. But one day this just landed on me that I'm a father, now I'm a grandfather. We've got six grandchildren under the age of six. So there's, there's an aroma in our house, not always the aroma of heaven when they're all there. But I realized, looking at those babies... And raising children, there's no such thing as unrepentant sin when you're a child of the Father. Because, and I'm not going to take the time to go through all this, because I don't have time, but you could find over and over and over again in the New Testament that Jesus died once for all. Once for all people, once for all sin. And as we begin to walk this out, we realize that God does not want you wringing your hands and not confident and comfortable with his love for you. He wants you to get your back bent and get into the harvest fields of the earth and know he's behind you wherever you may go. Whether it's Turkey, my brother was talking about the people in Turkey. We've got missionaries around the world as well and they're oftentimes in harm's way. Just thinking, we we talked about this the other day, but... If your children are on a playground or your grandchildren and and they're playing and they're having fun, but they're always running over to make sure that you're still there, that you haven't left them, that you're okay with them, that you're not mad at them. And then you run back over and you just start getting into it. And then you got to run back and make sure that mommy or daddy or grandpa or grandma is just okay. That's how we are. We can't even live for him because we're too worried that he's unhappy with us. See, this has been perfected in us, that we should have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. You know, it's no, and no amazing thing for me to consider that the man that wrote this kind of stuff was the one that had the revelation of God's love for him early on. You know, we've talked about it before. Five times in the, in the, in the New Covenant, it's written that John was the beloved. And now he's writing on love. Of course, it was only ever written in his book. He's the only one that ever wrote it. He's the only one that ever really believed it. To everybody else, he was just sucking up. To everybody else, he was just the first one there to get the best seat so he could be right up front. But he had a revelation that he was the beloved. And see, that doesn't make you sit back to just hang out and do nothing. No, it propels you into this message of love to share with people, mostly, that don't know that they're loved. Mostly, the people in our world, the people you work with, the people you'll see this afternoon, don't know that God is good and that he loves them without condition. So let's talk about being made in his image for a moment. Ephesians 5.1, Paul says, imitate God as dear children to imitate God, what does that mean? We know that we're made in his image in Genesis 1:26 and 27. It says God made man in his image. And he gave them dominion. The phrase there in the, in the Latin is imago Dei. It means in his likeness or in his image. And this, this is who we are. We are created to be his image bearer. If you've in, ever enjoyed the, the, the beauty of a full moon, The moon doesn't have any of its own light. It's just reflecting the the greater light of the sun. You and I are here to radiate the reflection of his image in the earth. Think about that for a moment. I think the reason why the world has such a hard time with the church is we've not done a very good job at that. I'm not here to condemn you because there's no condemnation in Christ. I'm here to challenge you that that let's just decide today that when people look at us, they're going to see our father. When When I look at my grandchildren, of course, I see myself. When I look at my children, I see myself. I know my wife was there, but I see me in there. See, we ought to carry the image of our father consciously, intentionally. Not that he's mad at you if you don't do a great job at this, because we're all on a journey. He loves us completely, but that's the motivation, that he loves us completely. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image. Somebody say the same image. Turn to the neighbor you know the best and say he's talking about you now. God himself, the Holy Spirit, by the hand of Paul, is telling us that when we gaze into the mirror of his word, we see ourselves. And as we do, we are transformed into the same image. From glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. Now, this is exactly why most people have no idea who they really are. That's why so many people are confused about their identity. And I'm telling you, if we don't allow God to give us our identity, the world will be glad to do that. How about the way the church has treated the people that need Jesus the most? Well, we don't like those kind of people around here. Well, we do. Listen, you can love somebody without approving of what they do. And then let me, let, me, let me share this with you too. It's not your job to make sure they change it. It's your job to love them. That's just the Bible. When you walk up to somebody living different than you, and, and this is the thing we have in California, sometimes you're in church with people, listen to this, I know it doesn't happen here, but sometimes you're in church with people that vote different than you do. It's just one of those things, we, it's our cross to bear, brother, you know what I mean? So we're asking people, not only hang out with people that look different than you, dress different than you, live in a different part of town as you, but hang out with people that vote different than you. Because what the world wants to do is divide and conquer, but what God did is came and loved. And let me tell you, Jesus is neither Republican or Democrat. He doesn't come and take sides, he comes and takes over. And when we stop worrying about what everybody's doing and start loving them and they see the love of God through us, then what happens is they start living a way that the love of God directs them and it has nothing to do with you and me and it's none of our business, frankly. We just re- realized something a long time ago that our job is to love everybody, to change nobody and to never judge anybody. And when you walk up to a person like that who has routinely been beaten down by church folk and you tell them, you know what? God loves you unconditionally, irrespective of whether you ever change your life or not. He loves you right now the way you are. Let me tell you something. You don't have to tell them that that love is going to change them. It changed you and you're pretty jacked up. And hopefully nobody was sitting there and putting you on a clock saying, well, you know, brother, you've been in this church three weeks, you've worn a hole in the carpet, uh, you you need to get this squared away. No, because see, you can hide your sin. You can put a face on it and you can shout hallelujah, do a Holy Ghost two-step, and nobody knows what you're going through. Some people can't hide it and and they haven't been churched, so they don't know how to do that. They don't even, even know they need to. But I dare you this week to find somebody just in a conversation, you know what, God loves you completely. I mean, I don't know if, you, if this happens here in Oklahoma, but in California, once in a while, somebody will just walk up to you, you're out with your family, you're walking down on the pier or something, and, uh, and they'll just come and say, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Usually my response is, I'd like you not to. I appreciate that you're out here, but I'm trying to walk with my family, and that's a terrible way to start that conversation. So I give them a little free advice. Just walk up and say, God loves you completely. Right where you are today. You don't have to tell them that he's not going to leave them there. He didn't leave us there. But see, people don't know that God. They know angry, vindictive, religious, legalistic church God. And that's the one they don't like. And that's not the one the Bible teaches either. I know, don't shout me down now. See, here's the thing, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves people. One more thing, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to live a life of denial, let me give you the verse, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So in order to follow Jesus properly, we have to deny ourselves. But, but what does that mean, Pastor Ken? I mean, already I'm no fun. I'm a stick in the mud. I'm doing my best to be boring and, and, and dull. Isn't that what that is? That's what I thought. That's not what that is. It doesn't mean that you can't have fun. It doesn't mean that you have to be boring and dull. What it means is you deny yourself the right to defend itself, for instance, or to come to your own rescue, or to speak your mind. See, self wants to rise up. Self wants to stake a claim, but if you're dead to yourself, what does it matter? If you've already died to self, who's there to take up for oneself? Could you imagine if Jesus processed betrayal like we do? Man, he'd need some counseling, wouldn't he? I mean, that kind of betrayal could make you a victim for life. Don't worry, I'm not going to completely destroy a thousand years of psychology, but I'm going to get close. See, dying to self means you don't have permission to be offended. You don't have permission to be a victim for the rest of your life. I'm not saying that what you went through wasn't painful. People always, the first thing they say is, you don't know where I've been. No. And you know what? I'm glad I don't. Because if you're 26 years a drug addict, how many of those horror stories do I have to hear? You cheat on your wife. I don't need to hear all those gross details. I kind of know what that is. We don't have to talk about the problem. Let's talk about the solution. If we're gonna deny self, then we need to stop peeling the onion in therapy. You're not an onion. You don't need to be peeled. Now, I'm, I'm not against identifying certain things in order to put them away, but when we go back around and back around and back around, we had a lady that used to uh, uh, Counsel people in our church. And initially, I was just glad somebody was doing it, and this was many, many years ago, and I wasn't completely aware of what was happening. But then I found out that she would give people a stuffed animal when they came in, and it was all women, and they would sit there and rub the stuffed animal and talk about all their woes and wants and pains. And and then I was just like, I, I didn't know much at the time, but I, was, I knew enough to say, we're not doing that anymore. See, the problem that we have is not being aware of our pain. The problem we have is not being aware of who we are in Christ. The Bible says, old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. I'm not saying that, that, that that's easy, I'm saying that takes effort. The very, own, the, actually the only thing that Paul ever says that to exert effort for is not our salvation, not our righteousness, not our justification, but our rest. I'm telling you, if you're gonna renew your mind, it'll take you effort. You can't binge on Netflix and expect to walk up out of there on fire for Jesus with a new mindset. Now, uh, listen, I'm not, again, not being judgy because I I binge on Netflix once in a while. I just have to schedule it in because I know there's other things I need to do. I got issues. But I don't have permission by the scripture to be a victim. Listen, we don't find it in Jesus so we didn't learn it from him. And, and, and you know, my daughter has spent the last six months trying to figure me out on the Enneagram. I range somewhere between crabby and Cranky, whatever number that is, with a ring uninterested, a wing uninterested. And I was like, babe, why don't you just figure out who Jesus is? That's going to get you a lot more down, a lot further down the road. And I'm not against that, and it's fun to look at, and my wife loves it. But I'm telling you, as a a culture, we need to be more interested in him than us, because his life is alive in us. Amen? And that's what we need to learn to live, as his reality instead of our past. I'm not trying to be insensitive, because I know... Uh, things are painful. I mean, at 16 years old, I remember stepping over my father's drunk body in our living room, and I had a friend from school with me, and he's like, "Uh, okay. And he jumps over my dad, and goes, he looks like he's dead. And I remember saying, I hope he is. So I can match horror stories, but that doesn't get anybody anywhere. What gets us somewhere is to know who we are in Christ and completely loved, fully known, fully loved. That's what we need to know because that's what gets us into a place of health. And then it goes on to say in this passage here, um, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. I want to talk about that just for a second because I want to show you what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is, well, this is terrible, but boy, this is my cross, so praise the Lord. I'm not gonna complain. Sometimes it may feel that way, but that's not the point. Not complaining is a good thing, but that's not the point. Here's taking up your cross, and and Luke 9 says daily. Matthew leaves out that word daily, but I think it applies. Taking up your cross daily and following him means every morning, You wake up, you remind yourself, his cross was my cross. Where he died, I died. When he was resurrected, I was resurrected. His life lives in me. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20. I was crucified with Christ. So he didn't just die for you, he died as you. And the life that I live... I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and died for me. Friend, listen to me. Your cross daily is remembering that he did it for you. And if you lose that, you'll get confused, thinking that somehow you have to pay a price and you just have to trudge through life. I'm not saying that it's not difficult. We talked about it earlier. There are times that are very difficult, but he's with you in trouble. But the life that you live is his life in you, and that's what the Bible says. Powerful stuff. I'm not gonna read John 4 for the folks on the computer because I'm just out of time, but I'll do something else. The woman at the well. I wanna show you three things about the gospel that we see in that story and I'll just talk through it. The Bible says in verse four of that chapter, Jesus needed to go to Samaria. Jews and Samaritans didn't mix. They didn't co They didn't hang out. Jesus shows up at the well that day because he needed to be there for her. See, in that regard, the gospel is Revolutionary. See, in our culture, if you want change, you got to get up early, work hard, go to the gym, put some powder in your juice every morning, be faithful, don't miss a day. If you have time, fit in some Bible there, too, uh, and have the initiative, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all that, and that. There's nothing wrong with any of that as long as you don't forget that the gospel doesn't work that way because she didn't qualify. She didn't have any bootstraps to pull up, but he needed to go see her. So in that regard, the gospel is revolutionary because it is for everybody. It does, the Bible does not say God helps those that help themselves. That's not scripture. Hello, somebody. And I'm all for helping oneself, believe me. I raise kids. I've got grandkids on the way. I'm all for that. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is for everybody. So as you and I are taking this gospel message, we need to make sure that we are looking for everybody, including the weak, especially the weak. The second thing is she wanted this living water. And so he said, okay, well, go get your husband. Almost like he's not paying attention to her. But I, I, I want the living water. Yeah, 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 well, go, go get your husband. She goes, well, I don't have one. Which was true, but only partially. See, she's now deflecting because the mess of her life, she's convinced, will disqualify her for the living water he talks about. He said, you know, you've rightly said, you've, you've had five. Currently, the guy you're living with is not your husband. So, okay, I, I, I'll go with that. And then she says, now she deflects again. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she wades into a political discussion and debate about where the temple should be, whether in Samaria or Jerusalem. We do this, by the way, because we're uncomfortable with intimacy. So he wades through her deflection, and he said, okay, well, if you're going to press me on it, Jerusalem. However, there's coming a day where I'll make both of them obsolete because this is about you and me. He just keeps drilling down. Drilling down. It's like going to the doctor and they start pressing around so they hit the, the spot that hurts. He just keeps pushing on her until he gets down to the lowest denominator, which is her. And we see that the gospel is re- relational in that respect. This is about intimacy. This isn't about how many scriptures you know or how much you can do this or how often you do that. This is simply about you and him. I read a book recently where this guy was on sabbatical. He was a pastor, and he he was mowing the grass, and he just looked up, and he said, Lord, if I never preach another sermon, I'm okay with that. And the Lord said, Son, if you never preach another sermon, I'm okay with that. You are not, to me, your calling or your vocation. You are my son, and I love you, period. So do what you like to do. Do what you want to do. I'm with you all the way. See, the gospel is relational. And the gospel, thirdly, is radical, The gospel is so radical that you'll forget that there's certain things society won't let you do This woman, and didn't Jesus, didn't he know what was going to happen? She turned right around and she ran back to the very town that had kicked her out and disowned her She was there in the middle of the day drawing water, which means she was socially and morally an outcast Just to talk to her, Jesus cut through a social barrier, a racial barrier, a gender barrier, and a moral barrier We won't even like something on Instagram from somebody we know has had some issues because we don't want to be affiliated. We don't want it to seem like we're hanging out with those people. And Jesus needed to go to that place of breakthrough for her. But it's radical because she went right back to that place and she preached. And she was still living with her boyfriend. Again, I'm not saying that should be a qualification for preachers, but I'm trying to tell you is God's less nervous about people than we are. Listen, I know what you want to do. I've been there. My father is God. But you can't go preach now because you're still living with your boyfriend and you've been divorced, of course, and this denomination, you can't even do that. So let's just find a nice guy that will love the Lord and let him preach for you. The gospel will break off everything you thought was normal and required and show you that it's all about the heart of God for people. That's the gospel. Hallelujah. I'm two minutes over. If you need Jesus today, let me encourage you. You need to believe. I already quoted John three sixteen. I already talked about Acts sixteen thirty one. What must I do to be saved? The apostle Paul could have said, pray with me. Let's say a prayer. Re- repeat after me. Abracadabra, hocus pocus. Woo. So all you got to do is say a few words. And if you say them right, it'll work. No, he said to believe on the Lord Jesus. Just that quick. It just came out of Paul because it was right at the surface. What must I do to be saved? To believe on the Lord Jesus. Bam. The man that Jesus made mud balls and put in his face, they kicked him out of the synagogue because he couldn't tell them who did it or why he did it or how he did it. And finally, they kicked him out. Jesus went and found him. And he said, you need to know the Savior. He said, well, tell me who he is so I can, I can do that. He said, I'm he. Do you believe? He said, yes, I believe. The thing Jesus didn't do next is say, we'll say this prayer. If you believe what'll come out of your mouth is what's in your heart this isn't a formula this is a relationship if you need to rededicate your life I want you to believe something also what Paul said in Romans 8 38 and 39 I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, and I'm going to take a liberty here, and if I get spanked when I get to heaven, I'll take it, but I'm going to take a liberty and say, even your sin could never separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, you feel alone. You feel forsaken. Because you're being a hard head and you're doing things your own way. But the truth be told, God has been there with you all the time. He is as close as your next breath. He is as close as the next word you speak. He is in you. You're in him. Because once that happens, it never changes. So all you have to do is believe he's never left you nor forsaken you. That the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. There's just Bible language for non-negotiable and irrevocable. So why live your life in the pig pen if you're born again child of God? Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we tried to build the theology around that crazy statement. Pastor, would you come on up? Or am I just going to turn it over to the worship team? But you know, in Jesus' day, there were no numbers on the Psalms. And so he was really pointing the Jews there to the Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is verse 1 of Psalm 22. In order to, to call out a psalm, you would say or sing the first verse. If you read Psalm 22, it ends with it is finished. But all through there, basically what Paul or what David writes hundreds of years earlier is I look forsaken. My enemies think I'm forsaken. They're celebrating my forsakenness. But God can never forsake his own. Friend, if you need to rededicate, I know the team here, would gladly have you shoulder up. There's a lot of work to be done in the kingdom. So if you need to be born again, you need to believe. If you want to rededicate your life, you need to believe that God loves you completely. Father, we thank you today for your word. We honor you in this place, this great house. Let the sound of heaven go forth, Father, until the coming of Christ. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hallelujah. So good.